Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and MBUK Magazine. Joining me in the podcast studio today, I have two of our bikepacking heroes at Bike Radar. First up, we've got Robin Fatardish, who's one of our videographers. How are you going, Robin? Yeah, all good. Excellent stuff. And we have Oscar Huckle. How's it going, Oscar? Good, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm all very well, thank you. Oscar, what have you been doing recently outside of the bikepacking sphere? Uh, so yeah, that's what that, that's what I've been doing recently. But outside of that, um, recovering from an injury for a few weeks after after it, and now um, starting to test some gravel bikes. So I've got the well, I've, I've been testing the Marin Headlands mm-hmm. um, for about a month, and then um, I'll be taking on the Trek Checkpoint ALR shortly. Lovely and, stuff. Uh, they're both priced pretty similarly, so it'd be interesting to see how they compare, especially because the Trek is a hundred pounds cheaper and it's aluminium, and then the Marin. It's £100 more and it's carbon and the spec is pretty similar. Okay, nice. A little head-to-head there for yeah, you. Yeah, I think so. Lovely stuff. Robin, what videos have you been making? Oh, uh, we've just been just finishing off our Tour de France load of videos. We've probably made about eight of them. Uh, so finally done with those. I think we've got a few Tour de Femme ones to go. Um, so if you're interested in Tour de France, tech, 
check those out. Mm-hmm. Um, Bike Radar on YouTube. Yes, definitely do that. Uh, Tom, what about you? Have you got anything interesting going on in work-wise? Uh, I've just come back from a couple of launches. So uh, the Mondrak and Neat e-bike and the Pivot Shuttle AM. So I've been riding e-bikes in Europe, which has been lovely. Not going to lie, it's been sunny and warm. I've now got a month back here in the UK to ride some cross-country bikes. So the new Cervelo ZSF5, I think it's called, uh, landed in the workshop this morning, as well as a Merida Big 9, which is a pretty rad-looking XC hardtail. We've got two. 100mm version and 120mm version. So I'm going to do the slightly longer travel down country one. And Jack Luke is going to do the cross country one. Lots of fun. So this episode of the podcast is all about bikepacking. Now, something that a lot of people are doing is there's a lot of like bikepacking content going on on the internet. If you scroll through Instagram, you can't help but see people loading their bikes with bags and sleeping in ditches and having fun in theory. Uh, Now, the three of us have all done little bits of bikepacking over the years. Robin... You have done an awful lot, and you sort of fly, I feel you fly under the radar a little bit, but you are, you're quite into this. Yeah, I seem to have got into it. You know, I, I, I don't know, I, I used to love touring, and then I was like, oh, fine, bikepacking. I don't really like bikepacking bags, but I have now got into bikepacking. So yeah, I've done quite a lot in the last year. I did, mm-hmm. gra- I, can't, I can't say it, Grand Graunch. It's like, a, it's like in the Canary Islands, so it's 750 kilometers off-road across the Canary Islands. God. How long uh, did that take? That was we did that in a week. That was right. really fun. Um, and then I did the Pennine Rally last month, which is from Edinburgh to Manchester off road. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really good. That was very hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of pushing a bike. Uh, and then I recently just did an ultra race called Bright Midnight around Norway, which is a thousand kilometers um, off road around Norway. <laughs> That's a lot of pedaling. Yes, <laughs> it's a lot of pedaling. A lot of sleeping in tents and, and, and ditches and, and fields and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always impressed when. Uh, when you sort of just disappear from work for a little bit and everyone's like, oh, oh, wait, what? And then you sort of turn up somewhere amazing doing like some mad miles on your bike. I'm always I'm Struggling. Always <laughs> it always looks great at least. Oscar, you've just done, is it the Pictish Trail? Yeah, that's right. What's that? Um, so that's a 750-kilometre route uh, that goes from Dunnet Head, which is the most northerly point of Scotland, mm-hmm. and it goes off-road down to Edinburgh, uh, so that was my first week-long bikepacking trip. Absolutely loved it. Okay. Uh, before then, I've done a couple of three-day trips. I've done uh-huh. the King Alfred's Way and the West Kernow Way, um, which are both quite popular routes in the UK, mm-hmm. in the UK. You're also quite into Audaxes. You've done yeah. some disgustingly long bike rides <laughs> uh, in the last few months. I remember. I have. Yeah. Um, they're actually really good preparation for for, for bikepacking because you get all the distance in in one go. You get used to being miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Riding through the night. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, they're really good. Um, and uh, it's kind of quite interesting having the the contrast between them because you're riding. Well, for, for example, one Audax you do half the distance of the pictures tread in one ride, um, whereas, you, whereas you can then have a, a week relaxed riding a similar distance to mm-hmm. doing something else. So. Okay, so you're packing a week's worth of riding in one go on an Audax. Essentially. <laughs> Maybe that's a podcast for another yeah. day. We can uh, break this down a little yeah. bit. Maybe get a psychologist on board and yeah. work out what's going on in your head, Oscar. Um, sounds pretty grim. And uh, Tom, you've also done loads of bike packing, right? You did like a big trip last year. I've done little bits and pieces. I'm not going to call myself a bike packer. Uh, I've done a few. I've done a few mountain bike multi-day sort of routes and things like that, which have always been fun. But yeah, last year I took uh, a six-week trip uh, on my gravel bike. I went from just south of Barcelona up through the Alps to Germany, 
uh, and then back down a little bit back through France because I really like croissants and pan shots <laughs> and uh, turns out they're better in France. Did you um, find that you needed to have recovery days because it was such a long time period? I did. I tended to have kind of one day off a week. I kind of, I feel like I rode myself into it pretty well, actually. I, I set off. Uh, and yeah, yeah, no, I didn't take as many breaks as maybe I thought I might. But I did have some breaks in the middle. I, I stopped at a friend's for a few days and did some unencumbered riding for a little while, uh, which is great, actually, taking all the bike bags off. You suddenly feel like you're powerful. Oh, unreal. <laughs> so fast. It's almost like the bike handles well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this podcast is all about bikepacking, as you might have noticed. So we're now going to talk about kind of route selection, how you're going to pick, where you're going to go, uh, maybe how you're going to make sure that your route is viable for riding on a bike covered in bags. Uh, we're going to talk about kit selection as well. What do you need to take? What do you not need to take? How do you sort of whittle it down from all the stuff that you think of originally into like the essentials? Uh, and then we're going to look at how we actually get it onto our bikes. And then if there's any other anecdotes, maybe we'll drop them in along the way. Right. So... A lot of the bikepacking trips you've done, Robin, recently seem to have been event-based. Where is it? Am I right in thinking that the route is pre-planned, or is it a route that you have to plan? Uh, so all all the events I've done this year are yeah they're event-based. So mm-hmm. all the routes have already been thought up by somebody, and uh, so you kind of know that it's going to be rideable, or at okay. least like you know where the endpoints are. Um, I've done other trips where I've planned it, uh, mm-hmm. but that's like so much more work because you've mm-hmm. got to try and work out where you're going to stay each night, where all the re- re- refuel points are, where the start and end points are. Uh, so I think, I guess it depends when you're first thinking about doing it, whether you've got an idea in your head that no one else has done, or maybe if you want to just like follow somebody else's mm-hmm. event, which uh, I actually have been quite enjoying doing that <laughs> so you you enjoy the just following following a preset route or do you like the planning i i do quite like the planning but i yeah i think it's actually quite nice that somebody else has already ridden it and that mm-hmm. they've they've like found like the nicest areas mm-hmm. um and yeah i quite enjoy that mm-hmm. and oscar when you're doing sort of the little shorter multi-day ones obviously the pictures trail is a set route so you've downloaded this from the internet you've put it yeah. on gps and you're just following a, a breadcrumb on your map but if you've planned trips for yourself, have you have you used what? How have you done that? So all of the bikepacking trips that I've done have also been pre-planned. Uh, but some of the Audax rides that, that I do, uh, Audaxes have controls in them, and they haven't got a set route. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you. Well, as long as you go to the controls and have a receipt to prove that you've been there, mm-hmm. um, you can make up your own route. Okay. Um, but I would like to plan a bikepacking trip without a route, so mm-hmm. that, so that I can get some more experience of that. Um, because I think w- with your um, Bright Midnight trip, Robin, um, was that a preset route or did you have to um, plan between the two d- different controls? It was like a preset route right. and it was like so much that if you went off the route, you had to go back to the exact point that you left yeah. it on. So you had to do exactly what they planned. And if you didn't, then you got disqualified from the race. So, so, yeah. so, so some of the ultra endurance races aren't like that and you have to plan the route in between mm-hmm. and I think that's something I'd like to figure out next. The current, there's the is it Transcontinentals? Yeah. yeah. At the moment, yeah, yeah. And that is one where you have, you know, you have a start point and then various control points yeah. through the way. And, and route planning is essential on that because it's a predominantly road-based route and uh, you can tell when people haven't planned it thoroughly enough because they suddenly end up on gravel that they can't ride and have to push uh-huh. for miles. Right. And um, when you look on the dot-watching uh, app, um, 
people are in the lead, but then because they have planned the route poorly, mm -hmm. you can then see others that are much further behind, but taking a less direct route suddenly overtake them. Right, okay. And um, so, yes, it's yeah. really, really interesting. We're going to touch on dot watching in a minute, actually, because that's <laughs> right. something I have forgotten about. Because actually, bikepacking races are a little bit of a spectator sport in the kind of very, you know how like you get slow TV in Scandinavia where you like just watch a fire? <laughs> It feels like <laughs> dot watching is is the slow TV version of watching cycle racing. It's, um, it's kind of like test cricket. <laughs> I feel like some people can just get really into it, I and do. I just can't. I find it so boring. Mm -hmm. I could like go and check it every day to be like, how are they doing? But some people love it, and they'll just spend you know they'll have it on their computer all day <laughs> watching. <laughs> I have a few friends who do these things. Um, Hugh Oliver and Annie uh, Lloyd Evans, who are sort of two big, and they devise um, the pictures trail. They devise the pictures yeah. trail. They, they do a lot of uh, these races, and I, I do sort of. I'm I'm kind of the same. I'll, I'll I'll log in maybe once or twice a day if I know, because obviously they both of them do very well at these things. So I like to keep my eye and see what they're doing. Um, but on the getting your route wrong front, a friend of mine is doing the TCR this year, and I've sort of been following him a little bit on Instagram, and uh, he's a mountain biker, and. I've just noticed in his updates, he's like, I found a great bit of single track or like he'll, he'll, he's searching out like the fun stuff. So is he riding it on a gravel bike? Or? He's riding it on a gravel bike. Yeah. He's currently like very mid-pack, like 80th or something, I think. And he's been doing some really cool looking events over the past. I think just months. to even finish that is uh, another yeah. achievement. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So when it comes to sort of route planning tech, um, obviously, when you're riding along, quite often, you know, we'll be using GPSs these days because mm -hmm. it's 2023 and, you know, obviously you might want to carry a paper map backup. I don't know. I don't. You don't? You don't? <laughs> don't okay. Know. No, I, I also don't, if I'm honest. Um, I usually have uh, my GPS uh, with a backup battery and then the route obviously on my phone um, and a few ways of making sure I, I remain charged. So we're following our route. How do we get our route onto our GPSs? I, I use Commute. It's a, I think it's super popular. There are other options, though. Um, but it's quite a useful tool. It's a mapping-based software. You can go on there, um, and it often has either preset routes that people have uploaded themselves, which you can then download and or edit, um, or you can create your own. And it kind of gives you a rough idea of what the surface is going to be. People can upload like pictures or descriptions of bits of trail or road or track, uh, and also little you know highlights such as watering stops or swimming spots. Or and it even tells you what kind of bike would be suitable for the mm -hmm. for the ride. So, for example, if you're wanting to ride a bikepacking route on a gravel bike uh, and on commute, it says it's for an enduro bike, then you know it's going to be unsuitable for it. Bit yeah. chunky in yeah. places. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a really useful tool. I I've, I use this a lot for sort of my own gravel riding around Bristol, but also. You know, when I just took my trip last year, I started off by following a set route. My intention was to follow the European Divide Trail. Uh, and I got a couple of weeks in and I, I quit doing that. And I decided to do my own thing on a daily basis. So I guess unlike where you're following a set route, like an event, or where you're going from seat, you know, from control point to control point, I sort of went the other way of being like, well, how much do I want to do today? Where do I want to finish? What's looking nice? Uh, and so I would just scan through commute on my phone, 
find an area where maybe there's a campsite or somewhere where it looks quite nice for camping or maybe near a town and then kind of like be like I want to go there let's hit go on on community sort of generates a route and then you can sort of tweak it as you go um and I find that quite a useful well a very useful tool I love Kamut. Yeah. I am like such a Kamut fan. It's <laughs> so great. Um, yeah. I also like if you get premium, it tells you what the weather is and whether you're going to have a headwind, oh. which is so good because obviously if you've got a really bad headwind, then it's going to take you like so much longer. So mm-hmm. yeah, very, very useful. Mm-hmm. It's also good for like pre, you know, if you are going to pre-plan your route and again, you know, you're not following like a set route, you know, it's very easy to do on your, on your desktop computer. So you can, you know, download all the files to your, to your commute app on your phone and, and it's all there and then it transfers it automatically to your, to your Garmin or your Wahoo and stuff. It's it's a really useful tool. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you are going to be planning a route outside of like the digital sphere of like, oh, I'm going to follow this road and, and download it. Are there any sort of things that you look out for on a day's ride that you might want to try and hit? Are you, are you trying to hit like really beautiful views? Are you going to try and hit sort of little watering spots or you're just trying to get to where you're going, Robin? Uh, I think a mix of all of them. It probably depends what you're doing, but I mean, if you're bikepacking, you're gonna try to you're trying to enjoy yourself, right? So you should be hitting like the beautiful views, like the really nice single track, uh, the highlights people have made on Kamut. Um, but also making sure you go through like a nice town, maybe where you can have some like lunch, uh, or at least like a supermarket or something where you can pick it up. Um, and one thing I always try to do is like have like areas along the way where we can like bail out because if you're riding and like something happens or you get ill or like I don't know a mechanical something it's always very useful just to have like an area where you can like bail out mm-hmm. um I had something like this on the bright midnight the ultra race where it was one in the morning and we were it was pouring with rain we were hiking through this like swamp but it was horrible and uh we'd been riding like all day we were like kind of bonking um but I'd like found this bailouts point where there was like a hut that we could like we could go to and like have try and dry our stuff out a bit um, um, and that was that was just really useful to be able mm-hmm. to do that because I know a couple of other people t- decided to quit the race at that point because they were like, it's so cold and horrible and wet. Um, but we actually had a place to like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. try and dry ourselves out a bit. So yeah, I always look for that as well. And so I do recommend doing that. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the end of the day, you know, if you're on a multi-day trip, you've got your tent with you or your bivy bag, you're not staying in hotels. How do you find somewhere to sleep? Oscar, when you've done the Pictish Trail, is that uh did you wild camp or did you yeah uh so on the pictish trail we used the tactic of camping uh in the remote areas uh but then having two nights sorry three nights in Mm b&b's when when the route would go through a city uh because first of all camping with two people for more than two days in a row is Mm -hmm. uh it's going to get interesting, mm-hmm. and also it just means you get a longer recovery time having a nice warm bed. And uh, yeah. we also tried to plan it so that on the days where we were staying um, in B and Bs, that we would try and that on the previous days we try and eat into the next day's mileage, so that we then have a shorter shorter day um, when we would be B and Bing to have a longer recovery time. Um, but in terms of finding a, a spot to camp. Just potluck, really. Yeah. <laughs> we split the route into. Well, we did it in, in. We did a slightly extended version, so it was eight days, eight hundred and fifty k. Um, so we split the route into um, eight rides, uh, and then tried to end each day's route uh, somewhere where it like where it looked like it would be reasonably remote, so that we could camp anywhere we wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, the first night we camped was in a lay-by by the A9, which was not particularly scenic. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but the, Very discreet. Yeah, but the other three nights we found beautiful locations and, mm-hmm. yeah, it was 
very easy to pitch up the tent. Nice. And were you camping? Were you bivvying? Camping. And why? What was the the like? Yeah, because you didn't have never, bivvied. I've yeah, never so bivvied. no, never bivvied before. Um, I think camping's just a bit more social. There's more storage, and uh, I'm not really sure I'd have enjoyed bivvying uh, at the top of a mountain with with rain and and wind. And yeah, yeah I think camping's a bit, mm-hmm. a bit more of a luxury. Yeah, what do you think? Do you camper or bivier? Um, I have done both. I have bivied. Uh, I think the last time I bivied, I ended it with a slug on my face. Um, <laughs> so that kind of... Uh, put you off. That put me off somewhat. Um, on my trip last year, I took a two-man tent from just myself, um, mostly because I wanted the space. And also, like, tent tech these days seems to be so sort of developed. You know, my two-man tent with a load of bikepacking features on it is a bikepack-specific tent because... Uh, There's a few yeah. brands that started There's doing that. There's a few brands. Yeah. Brands of Big Agnes. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember which one it was. But it's still like just over a kilo. And like, you know, for the sake of maybe carrying another like four or 500 grams over, say, a fairly comfortable bivy bag, I could have the space for two. Yeah. I made a grave mistake <clears throat> on my trip taking a relatively budget two-man tent mm-hmm. for two people mm-hmm. and it was for well it was more like for two contortionists yeah my um <laughs> my first proper sort of trip uh was in my my gap year when we were 18 so 18 years ago now me and a friend spent six weeks cycling around iceland which <clears throat> you know it was incredible we had a two-man tent and we slept in that every night bar one night because the weather in Iceland's not always particularly friendly and it rained for the first three weeks every day and then it rained for the next three weeks most of every day so we were pretty damp uh, and we hadn't i had packed two pairs of chamois which <laughs> were washed <laughs> a total of twice My <laughs> it was <God>. pretty rancid <laughs> um and we rocked up to a campsite in a howling gale in a storm and the guy around the campsite also ran a hotel and he said would you want to stay in the hotel and we we're like we can't really afford it we don't have any money and he's like for the price of camping you can stay in my hotel oh so he's very good luxury <laughs> okay so we'll we'll move on we'll move on to kit in a second but i am going to ask robin about sleeping because actually i know you've done an awful lot of uh wild camping and and finding nights on the trail i think mm. <laughs> you yeah. have you yeah have. quite a lot um, What's your top tip? What, how do you sort of find a spot when you're pedaling and you haven't pre-set a, a destination for the day? Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's so I spend so long like looking for the right place. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, just somewhere that's kind of far away from people if you can, uh, and generally try and find something that's like a block from the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like behind a hedge or a rock or I don't know, in a ditch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, I've kind of got into like hammock camping and then that was like quite good because you just like find some trees that are yeah. like the right distance apart. Yeah, it is difficult though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just where when you get tired enough, then anything looks like a bed. So yeah. <laughs> I found it a massive stress actually. On my, you know, I had a really good time doing my trip, but I did struggle at times with with various things, you know, and a lot of that came down to like knowing where I was going to end up and knowing that I was safe or knowing that I wasn't annoying someone, knowing that I wasn't going to get disturbed. And I, I found it quite tricky. I think, you know, if you are going to go bikepacking, obviously you need to be aware of local rules and regulations. Obviously in England, it is strictly forbidden outside of Dartmoor. Um, but I, well, you know, I think we've all wild camped in England, got yeah. away with it. Just, just don't be a... Just don't rule be too one. obvious. <laughs> rule one, don't be a dick. And obviously different countries have different rules. So just be aware of all of those. Um, but yeah, find somewhere secluded, out of the way. You're not going to disturb someone. Don't damage anything. Don't sleep on top of crops, you yes. know. 
something that worked for me was uh, in the last in the last forty five minutes of the day's ride, we would start to look for a potential mm-hmm. place to camp. Um, so just having the time to prepare to do that is mm-hmm. a is a tip that I'd share as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think I often got to about four p.m. and I'd be like, now Will now I'm work? on my own. <laughs> Uh, often took until seven or eight. Cause right. <laughs> but I think for me, perhaps I was lucky in that I was bikepacking in such a remote location, perhaps somewhere mm. like in France where it's more built up, mm. um, where you bikepacked, it's more difficult. Yeah. And I guess also having someone with you sort of probably helps, you know, that discussion and that sort of feeling of making a, a joint decision on those yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, I think it definitely helps having someone else. But sometimes it also doesn't. I did uh, bikepack last year in Slovenia with my partner and he was like really prang <laughs> and so in the, we ended up camping in this like very thorny bush which i don't recommend because then we got punches on our mats so oh, <laughs> don't camp that. in a bush <laughs> speaking of mats then that was a nice segue thank you robin <laughs> let's move on to kit selection and we'll rattle through this relatively quickly robin do you want to sort of very quickly talk me through some of your key bits of kit that you've been using and things that you wouldn't want to leave behind things that maybe performed really well and maybe things that actually you've taken along you've been like oh this is a bit of a waste of time so camping wise, I've just got this super light. I'm not going to, to remember any of the names of what things are now. I've just got a very super light like mat, uh, which, uh, yeah, I can't remember what it is, I'm afraid. Sorry. Um, and then and also uh, it's this down sleeping bag, which is I think it weighs like 50 grams or something. But once it puffs up, it's really, really warm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go anywhere without those yeah. two things. Um, and a bivy, just like a really basic bivy, just in case you get like stuck somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, really very useful. One thing I definitely wouldn't go anywhere without is I have two uh, waterproofs. And I recommend two waterproofs. Carrying two. Yeah, because when one gets soaking wet, then you can just have the other one. Nice. Um, and yeah, that's that's one thing I definitely carry, even though that's like very over the top carrying two. Mm-hmm. But I do recommend it. I just had that experience on my trip as well. And every morning when I started the ride, my waterproof would be wet. But I think um, because the waterproof was quite good, after 10 minutes of riding, it dried up and I was okay with that. Mm. In my six weeks of bikepacking, I got rained on twice. Oh, Just amazing. All right. <laughs> Pick your location, guys. <laughs> Route planning 101. <laughs> Don't go to Scotland. Um, what about you? What would you pick? Would um, you pick? So I went fairly lightweight on my trip. I, was, I wore one shirt for the first four and a half weeks until I put my head through the back of it. I did rinse it on a daily basis, but it was great because collar popped up, no sunburn on the neck. I think if you're on your own as well, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, long sleeves that I could roll up and down, buttons down the front, you know, re- actually shirts, great bike packing kit, in my opinion. Um, in terms of sleeping, I had that two-man tent, which really was like, was great. Uh, it was a big Agnes. Copper spur? Tiger Copper wall? spur, I think. Right. HL2 bike pack. You can look it up. It's got short poles, so it fits between the drops. It's got like a bag, stuff sack that sort of you can tie onto your handlebars as, a, as instead of needing like a big contraption to hold things on your handlebars. Uh, and it's got like drying loops for helmets. Anyway, it's quite fancy. It's quite nice. Um, I went with a Sea to Summit super light um, sleeping mat, which was great, but wasn't the warmest thing. And it was really noisy. Um, every time I sort of rolled over, it made a real noise. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, there are some like that. Hey. It's quite annoying. <laughs> but I, I tested the Sea to Summit one and... Um, the Thermarest similar, I think Neo Air Light or whatever it is. And to be honest, they're both super noisy. Um, but again, like way half of bugger all. So like, 
there's a, there's a swings and roundabouts. And I went with a quilt um, instead of a sleeping bag. And I think in theory, I was quite happy with that, but I got really cold. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's probably better suited to like much warmer weather. Was that, yeah, was that because you don't like sleeping bags or was that? Yeah, I yeah. find them really restrictive. Okay. And I kind of wanted, so the, the one I had, it had a Thermarest one and it has loops that go under your sleeping mat. So it does sort of hold you in if you want it. And then obviously you don't need to use a strap. So when it was warm, you know, when the sun comes up in the morning and you start baking your tent, you can just have it on laying on top of you. Um, the one thing I would never now go anywhere without on a bike packing trip, and it is an absolute pure luxury, is my little camping chair. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of figured, right, I mean, I know if you're going to go and do a race, if you're going to try and do like 150K a day for seven days and like whatever, you're probably not going to be spending much time in your campsite, right? But I I was on holiday, right? <laughs> I'm not going to go out there and try and kill myself. Um, so I figured, well, I'd probably be stopping riding at like four or five in the afternoon and then I'm going to sleep at midnight because I sleep late and I'd get up at seven in the morning and probably not set off for a couple of hours so I'm not going to sit on the floor so I got myself one of those super lightweight disgustingly expensive camping chairs it's 500 grams the best 500 grams I've ever carried in my <laughs> life honestly it was bloody great really comfortable um and my my ex-girlfriend works at an outdoor shop so I got a massive staff discount <laughs> Where did you carry it on your bike, though? So, uh, I went with a tail fin system, right. largely. So I had the Aeropack, which is like basically a top-of-the-rack bag. I had two of their larger roll-top pannier bags on the side of that. And I had a couple of fork-leg bags on anything cages, which are like basically water bottle cages that can hold bigger items than a water bottle. Um, and I also had an Apidura frame bag uh, and then carried two water bottles on the on the bike. Did you find the weight was imbalanced having so much of it at the back or was it okay? Um, I did have some weight issues in maybe a, a podcast for another time, but I, I ended up having a lot of um, speed wobble issues, right. um, which was connected to the weight balance. And I think I've got a few various sort of ideas on on why that may or may not have happened. I, the fork leg bags I loaded with the heavy things, so tools, spare batteries, um, and all that, which helped. Um, so yeah, lighter stuff at the back, heavier stuff at the front, just sort of equal that balance out. Um, we've moved on to packing our bikes. Yeah, seamlessly. Sorry. It was perfect. <laughs> was I love was it. there anything you wanted to uh, uh, add for your kit? Kit. Um, I kind of used a combination of the things that you use. So I used a Sea to Summit sleeping mat, which I actually didn't find noisy. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's a different model. Um, one of their pillows as well. Mm, um, pillow, great. Yeah, they're really good. Um, I was meant to use one of their sleeping bags as well, but it didn't arrive in time. And um, I featured a specialised Fjell Raven um, sleep poncho in my first look Friday um, mm. a few months ago. And um, it converts into a sleeping quilt. And because I didn't have anything, I ended up taking that. It was actually really, really good. Yeah. Was yeah. it? Yeah. Was it warm enough? Yeah. So it's rated to, I think the minimum temperature is eight degrees. Hmm. And the one night where we camped on top of a mountain, it, it chucked it down and, and it was really, really cold. I was just about at the limit. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I would say that that temperature rating is accurate. But no, it was really good wow. for, for for warmer trips. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, Carried everything um, in in Apadura bags. Mm -hmm. So I had a seat pack, a frame pack, um, handlebar pack, and then two fork packs. Mm -hmm. And I found that was perfect. Yeah. Um, my friend who I rode with, um, he used panniers at the back. 
um, and there was a weight imbalance because the front wasn't wasn't very heavy mm. loaded, and um, the route was a bit gate mania at times, having to go <laughs> through gates and um, or obstacles. And because the back end of the bike was so heavy, quite often he had to remove the two pannier bags, get the bike over the gate, and then put them back on, mm. which wasted quite a lot of time. Oh, no. So I think I I think I had the better strategy. Yeah. In terms of kit, before we move on to packing, one thing I did carry was um, a water filter. I had one as well, but didn't use it. <laughs> I used mine quite a bit because uh, I carried limited bottles and I didn't want to carry a backpack with more. Yeah. So I had it's called a Grail is the is the brand. Mm-hmm. Now it's not one of these. It's like um, it's basically like a what looks like an eight hundred ml water bottle with a filter that you push down and through. All right. And you okay. can filter. I think it's about five hundred ml or six hundred ml of water in like 15, 20 seconds. Wow. I've used it in. I used it when I went to Lesotho where like the water was dodgy as anything mm-hmm. and it's it's really highly sort of safe. It's probably one of the, the better ones out there, but also it's really quick to use yeah. and, and kind of doubles as a bottle itself. Yeah. So were you just uh, like getting water out of like rivers and stuff? Yeah, oh, rivers, cool. stream. I mean, obviously like if it's a fetid looking river, I wouldn't just because it <laughs> wouldn't taste good. Mm. But yeah, like a good fast flowing stream or, or whatever. Yeah. The one that I've got is an MSR trail shot, which is quite a tried and tested option. And um it's like an attachment where you um, go to a river um, and then you squeeze this pump and it mm. then filters it into a bottle that you then pour it into. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, one thing that I would always recommend taking, especially after riding um, the Pictus Trail, is a first aid kit. Mm. Um, yeah. So you always pack a first aid kit thinking that you're not going to use it. Mm. Um, but on this trip, we used it every single day other than the first day. Really? <laughs> what were you <laughs> <Yeah>. doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I made... Well, I thought I was uh, being sensible with using a pair of shoes that I thought were comfortable, um, having tested them for a few months before the trip. And um, I discovered on the second day that the seam of the shoe rubbed on my midfoot. So every single morning I had to put a plaster on there to, to stop it from blistering. Mm. Um, so that's what was used every day. And then my friend, one day we rode along a trail which was called the Riverside Path. So you have this image of it being quite tranquil and easygoing. Um, but we dubbed it the Riverside Assault Course because it was just <laughs> fawns everywhere, overgrown, mm. really um, really rowdy. Um, so he had to patch himself up there. And then on the penultimate day, um, an e-biker was coming along the wrong side of a um, disused railway path, phone in one hand, cheap and nasty beer bottle in the other, and went into him. Uh, mm. Luckily, he wasn't too injured, but again, we had to use the first aid kit for that. Uh, so always take a first aid kit. Salient and advice. On that note, like pack it with like useful things. Like, so, you know, because you can get the first aid kits from like boots or whatever, but put maybe put some like, you know, emergency blanket in, mm. tick remover. Tick yeah. remover, um, yeah. Burn kit for when you get sunburnt or like whatever. Um, just like add a few things that you're like, Outdoor and also wise. don't don't bury it at the bottom of your bag so you don't have to search for it for 10 minutes. Oh. Try and pack it somewhere where yeah. it's accessible. Yeah. yeah. Good show. Yeah. All right, let's move on very quickly to how we pack our bikes. So I very quickly rattled through my setup. So uh, Tailfin was great, um, really useful setup, pretty expensive, um, but ultimately not bad. Robin, how do you sort of get stuff on your bike? Are you bar bags, are you frame bags, panniers, saddle bags? So, yeah, like the traditional, you know, bar bag, frame bag, saddle bag sort of mix. Um, I do have some fork packs, which I absolutely love from Ortlieb, which they're mm-hmm. really, really good. Uh, they And they help quite a lot because they keep your weight nice and low. Mm. So you feel very stable when you're riding off-road with them. But, yeah, I think 
heavy stuff in the fork bags and heavy stuff in the frame bag. That's mm-hmm. that's what I'd recommend. Oh, and recently I've got this like handlebar kind of pouch thing, which okay. you can put food in and, and you can access it like as you On ride. Yeah, and it's oh, so, yeah. so good. It's like game changer for me. So you could put like, I think I just put some like a big bag of like trail mix in mm. there. You just ride along eating. And right. then you just, you know, you never, you never bonk because you just. <laughs> that is one of the benefits of like, one of the many benefits of bikepacking is the amount you can eat. Oh my God, so much food. I think I had um, 74 croissants slash, well, or other pastries <laughs> um, and around 80 cans of Schweppes Grum. Oh. Grum. I can't pronounce it very well, but it's, um, it's a, one of my favorite soft drinks and I absolutely <laughs> nailed all of that stuff. It's just the excuse to just eat everything oh, along the way. That's so I mean, the good. best bit. So good. <laughs> Sampling the local uh, cuisine. Uh, um, Oscar, how do you, how do you carry stuff? Any, so, any differences? Um, I've already re- revealed what I pa- um, how I packed. Um, so I used um, Apadura bags, mm-hmm. frame bag, handlebar pack, seat pack, and fork mm-hmm. packs. Um, that worked really, really well. And I've used that setup uh, on my previous trips as well. Mm-hmm. If I was riding something longer, I would like to have bigger fork packs next time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I carried food in them this time and mm-hmm. um, light items like spare socks or a base layer. Um, and I, I am actually quite intrigued by the tail fin system mm-hmm. because you can effectively put three bags on the back. Yeah. Um, and that would be a great way to have more storage because with a with a conventional seat pack, you've just got the one bag and that's it. Yeah. Uh, so that sounds interesting. There is an alternative to tail fin. Just in, uh, yeah, it's called, is it Arrow? A-R-O-E or something like that? Yeah, Kiwi brand, I think. I saw them at Sea Right. It's quite cool. Yeah. We'll work on a full surf mountain bike as well. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to wrap this up in a minute, but I'm going to throw this on you guys. I want three of your top tips before we go. I'll do mine first. Okay. Um, but it could be bits of kit or little things that you notice along the way or route planning things. So my number one, if you're going to do it on a gravel bike, which a lot of us do, and if you're going to heavily load your bike, tire inserts saved me on numerous occasions. So I ran a rim pack in the front and back, and it was Really useful. I could feel myself bottoming out because I ended up doing some chunkier stuff than I planned on a bike that weighed many kilograms. Uh, two, if you go bikepacking in Germany and you go along like back roads, I came across on a number of occasions little honesty boxes with beer in them. And just in the middle of nowhere, there'd just be like a little, uh, like a little roadside box or a trail side like the one was like a tree that had been carved out into like this little like door thing with rattlers beers waters fruit juices and you just put a few That's years amazing. in there incredible wow. i even found one which just doled out wine <laughs> so go to germany but if you do go to germany this is my final tip don't ride on pavements by mistake or do anything wrong or cycle through towns where there is no cycling because you do get fined and you do get shouted at and uh, you find yourself in trouble very, very quickly. Um, so that's my other top tip. Do go to Germany, but don't go to Germany if you like breaking rules. Did you get fined? I did get fined. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh my I got God. fined 25 euros oh, no. <laughs> for cycling along on tram tracks. You know when you've got trams in the middle of a city where oh, they yeah. go on the road? I was cycling along some tram, tram tracks. Got stopped by the police. I had to pay 25 euros. I didn't know you weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. There we go. Um, so there we go. Oscar, give us three of your top little tips. So on the spot, the first things I can think of, number one, pack a first aid kit for the reasons I've already described. Um, number two, I would probably say, try, well, enjoy the route as much as you can because effectively it's a holiday mm-hmm. and you're not working and um, yeah, 
enjoy it, enjoy the views. It's, if it's not somewhere that you've ridden before, try not to get bogged down with just trying to finish the route for the day, mm-hmm. actually have fun along the way. Um, and um, I think tip number three would be think twice um, about everything you carry because you, you'll you discover if you, over, if you overpack, well, perhaps you, you need a first trip where you make mistakes, perhaps a, a, a shorter one. But yeah, it's very easy to overpack. And when when you bike pack, take a note of the things that you actually use and mm-hmm. then you, you know what to pack for next time. Mm. Perfect. Great. Robin? Uh, number one, don't bother with bananas. Right. They are so annoying. <laughs> they get bruised. A better option is cucumbers. They've got lots Ooh. of, you know, they, you can't really bruise a cucumber. Um, Does and- water leak everywhere though? Or- Nah, no, no, no. <laughs> really good. And they're nice and crunchy and green because usually when you're bikepacking, you eat some beige food, right? Whereas sometimes you're like, oh, something green. Yeah. Um, number two, make sure don't take really old kit. So I'm really bad at this where I'm like, this is really comfortable. I used it so many times and then I take it because the, you're putting it through so much, then it breaks. Um, so when I did the Canary Islands, I took some old shoes and mm-hmm. within 24 hours, the bottom of the shoe was like peeling off the uh, top. Um, and I had to like, tape it up, which is not ideal. And lastly, I'd say it's going to take a lot longer than you think it's going to take mm. because a load of bike is heavy and you don't know the route. And yeah, so it always surprises me when I go bikepacking how long like 100 kilometers can take. You can take like 12 hours or whatever just because it's just so different to normal yeah. riding. <laughs> You're not going to be smashing on that 30 kph all day long. Nope. <laughs> Absolutely not. All right, lovely stuff. Well, thanks ever so much, Robin. And thank you, Oscar. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. And if you do have any of your own bikepacking tips, don't forget to email us at podcast at bike radar.com or if you've got any other questions suggestions feedbacks or topics for the future podcasts okay thanks so much guys and we will be back later on this week thanks for listening to the bike radar podcast if you've not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode 